Thank you, Charlie. Good morning. For those of you I have not met, my name is Emily Skates. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I just have to say it is such a joy to be led by such an amazing worship team and leaders who truly lead us in spirit and in truth. Well, last week we started a brand new sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and Callum, he, he reminded us this, that if Christmas is God with us, and Easter is God for us, then Pentecost is God in us. And he challenged us to dare to live in this truth. And when we do, I think it's very common that we tend to look for the more spontaneous work of the Spirit. You know, the sudden revivals, the gifts of tongue or healing or the various miracles to break out and so on. And that's not bad. In fact, we believe that the Holy Spirit can and does do those spontaneous kind of works. But if that's all we look for, I believe, and I think Paul would say this too, that we miss out on what is the greatest, most powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And it's not the spontaneous No, it's the steadfast, the daily, slow, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And Paul tells us exactly that in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 25. And in this text, Paul gives us a visible picture of an invisible reality. And we're going to look at what that reality is, how we can be assured of this reality, and then how we're called to join in. So if you'll go with me to Galatians chapter 5, we'll be in verses 16 to 25. But first, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, who are we that we can come into your throne room? and enter your throne of grace, entering into your presence. Who are we that you're a God who is with us, that you're a God who speaks to us, that you're a God who is alive and at work in our hearts. So Lord, we ask this morning as we open up your word, your scripture, your revelation, Lord, would you speak to us? And Lord, I ask that I would decrease so that you might increase. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Starting in verse 16, Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And in case Paul missed anything, he goes on to say, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, let me give us a little bit of the background on the church in Galatia. Here's a picture of their life right now. all relate to this just a little too much. I mean, we've been saved by Christ, rescued by him, and yet we keep falling back into sin again and again and again. And this is what the church in Galatia was struggling with. Now, Paul, he's someone who knows all about this. In fact, in the book of Romans, he writes, I do what I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do. I mean, he knows the struggle. He's not just writing as a pastor, but as a fellow struggler. And what he's doing is he's responding not just to this problem about sin. He's saying the true problem with the church in Galatia is the way they're handling their sin how they're dealing with it. You see, in this text, Paul is so burdened because he sees a people who are striving to fix themselves. He sees a people who are trying to clean up the outside. They're busy tidying everything up to make things look okay. They're doing things that we would call today like self-help work or religious superstitions or behavior modification. And Paul is looking at them and saying, don't you get it? The, the book of Galatians is really Paul's plea to these people to say, get back to the gospel. That is by grace and grace alone that we are saved. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot fix ourselves. In fact, Paul goes as far to say that when we try to save ourselves, we're cutting ourselves off from the grace of God. And so he's saying, get back to the gospel. Get back under God's grace. Walk by the Spirit. And so in this text, Paul gives us a visible picture of an invisible reality. And we find that it's the Holy Spirit at war in our hearts. Look with me at verse 17. He writes, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. Paul is giving us an image of the flesh and the spirit. They're battling. But notice he doesn't say they're battling our behaviors or our works or the things on the outside. No, the spirit is going to the root of our sin to the very depths, which are our desires, our loves, our passions. 
And what Paul is telling us is as the spirit is at war in our hearts, as he is battling and wrestling our flesh, what he is doing is weakening the desires of the flesh and replacing them with his own desires. Now, Paul doesn't tell us directly in this text what the desires of the Holy Spirit are, but as we read through the New Testament, what we find is the Holy Spirit's desire is to magnify Christ in our hearts, to magnify his love to us, to make Jesus more beautiful, more glorious to us till he outshines everything else in our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to make Jesus central to our hearts, our greatest desire. That's what the Holy Spirit is at work doing. And really what that truly means is he's taking the gospel, which Tim Keller says is that we are more sinful than we could ever dare admit and yet more loved than we could ever dare imagine. That Christ died for us. And what the spirit does is he takes this gospel, he takes this truth and he hits us in the head with it. In more eloquent terms, he paints it on our hearts. He makes it real to us. He helps us experience it, to grasp it. Think about it. Have you ever been sitting and reading your Bible and a passage that you've read many times before all of a sudden hits you in a deeper way? Or maybe you're in a church service and the the preacher is preaching and it feels like he's talking directly to you. Like, did he read my diary? Because this is hitting a little too close to home. Or maybe you've been praying before and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed by the love of God, by his acceptance for you, by his nearness to you. Well, that's the Holy Spirit at work in your heart replacing the desires of the flesh for his own desires, that Christ would be magnified in our hearts. Now the question is, well, what assurance do I have that the spirit is in me and at work doing that? I'm glad you asked. Jonathan Edwards says that what we will experience is what he calls the expulsive power of a new affection. Basically, as we experience the love of Jesus Christ, as we taste and grasp his love and how glorious he is, it begins to crowd out the sin. Sin's hold begins to weaken. In fact, we begin to be discouraged by our sin. It becomes unsatisfying, not as much fun, not as much desirable. And so if you're here this morning and wondering if the Holy Spirit is alive in you, let me ask you, have you ever felt discouraged by your sin? Have you ever been dissatisfied by it? Have you ever had a time where you've cried out to the Lord, like, God, take this out of my life. I don't want it anymore. I want what you have. Good news. If you have that kind of wrestling in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit at war in your heart. 
It's not so much that we're assured because we're cleaned up on the outside and have everything tidy. Rather, it's because there's a war on the inside. Another thing is we'll start to see the fruit of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean we're all of a sudden perfect and continually perfectly growing in holiness. It's more like the stock market. We have ups, downs, all arounds. We have good days. We have bad days. We have days where we are joyously serving the Lord and then days where it's like, did I really just do that? Nevertheless, after a year, five years, decade, we'll see this slow growth of this new desire of love, joy. We'll have this peace in us. We'll have this patience, even when we're driving in the left lane and you know that slow person who just shouldn't be there? We'll have gentleness and kindness. We'll have faithfulness, self-control. Now, maybe you're like me and you're thinking, well, Goodness, I've got a long way to go. Let me tell you, you're in good company. And I love these words, what John Newton once wrote. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. The Holy Spirit, he's the one who will cultivate and grow this fruit in our lives. And we can trust that he will complete it. Because the third assurance is that God will do it because he says he will. Look at verse 24. Paul writes, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's a promise that our sins have already been crucified with Jesus Christ, that the power of sin has already been abolished. Christ has done the work. He has gone and died for our sins. Why would he stop now? We can declare what Paul declares in Philippians 1 verse 6 that we can be assured that he who began a good work in us will complete it to the end. We can be assured because God has promised to do the work in us. So here, Paul is telling us the war is at, the spirit is at war in our heart. We can be assured that he is there waging war in our hearts. But then finally, it doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. Rather, Paul is encouraging us to join in this reality. He says, walk by the Spirit. Not just sit, not hang out, but walk by the Spirit. I love what John Stewart, a Scottish preacher in the 20th century, he likened this to sailing. When we're out in a sailboat, we are utterly dependent on the wind to move. And yet like the Holy Spirit, we can't control that wind. We don't know which direction it's going to come from. We don't know when it's going to hit. But what we can do is raise up our sails. Have them open. Be ready. Be expected. Be longing for the Spirit to come. 
And the ways we do that is exactly what the church has done since day one. They've walked in the three common means of grace. The word, prayer, and the sacraments. That's been the foundation of every revival, of every Christian growing, the word, prayer, and sacraments. We've got to get into God's word to know God's direction, to seek his guidance. I've had people say, Emily, you know what? I can't hear from the Lord. And I say, well, have you looked at his, his letters to you? Have you looked to see what he is saying to you? He's constantly speaking to us in here. We've got to get into the word, but it's also prayer. And I'm talking about like real prayer, like bowing before the father, knowing that we are going and entering into his throne room and expecting to hear from him. A kind of prayer that begs God to shape our hearts, to magnify Jesus Christ, to help us to taste him and see him and know that he is real. Imagine what kind of church we would be if all of us prayed that prayer. But then finally, it's at this table. This table where we come to touch, to taste, to see the truth that our God is truly present. He's real. He's tangible. He is a God who is with us, who is for us, and who truly does live in us. This is a table that we come to when the Spirit, He begs us to ask, what kind of love is this? That our God would give Himself to us. And that now nothing No one, not even the gravest of sin, not even death itself can separate us from his love or stop our God from doing what he's already begun doing in us. That is why on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples and he told them, I've been eagerly waiting for this moment with you, this intimate time to spend with you. And he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup And he poured it saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are proclaiming the saving death of our Lord Jesus Christ until he returns. And church, he is coming again.